This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your game where you see something fantastical and magical and realize you're not in Kansas anymore, or Earth for that matter. Tonight, we will be discussing both Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy, but also a setting which I was able to actually make part of Bureau 13 canon. Now, many of you have heard me discuss on many previous podcasts the Second World Sourcebook by Stephen Palmer Peterson, and it was a D20 advanced sourcebook which brought about many new rules, many of which, which I have adopted in my own games, but also it brought in a dual world setting called the Second World. If you want to check out something really cool, need to tune in to the TriTech podcast. What's that you say? TriTech? What's a TriTech? TriTech is one of the oldest role-playing companies around. They make games like Fringeworthy, FTL 2448, Hardwired Hinterland, Beach Bunny Bimbos with Blasters. Designed for D20 and Savage Worlds, these games will kick your dice into overdrive. Whether you want to combat the denizens of the underworld, travel the galaxy, get crazy with bimbos, or travel the multiverse and do it all, TriTech has you covered. Go to TriTechGamers.com to see what it's all about. That's T-R-I-T-A-C Gamers.com. And check out our weekly podcast at TriTechSystems.Podbean.com. Or simply enter keyword TriTech in iTunes. You're going to love it. It does. It does show um, when he wrote this because one of the things you I could see people making, you would probably have to create a new new line for it. But uh, if you ever watched any of the Expanse, railguns, railgun. Oh god, because that's magnetics. Mm-hmm. You could power it with a lightning with light. You would need lightning armor to to reinforce it to make so it doesn't collapse on itself when it fires. But yeah, I can see you making railguns. Okay, things like that. That would be a little bit of metal warden, a little bit of lightning warden, and a whole lot of pain for whoever got hit with that. Yeah, <laughs> because railguns basically that's where the that's the boom gun from Rifts. That's basically you're projecting with magnetics a projectile, and it cracks the speed of sound. And pretty much anything it hits. A good example of a railgun. It's one of the best ones I've seen. The clip from G.I. Joe, the second G.I. Joe movie where they take out London. Look at that clip. That's what, you know, they shoot the tungsten pole down space. That's a railgun cranked to 11. Actually, no, that was a coil gun. That was like a railgun then? The diff okay. There's a diff the difference is that rail guns wear out. Coil guns never wear out, but they take more power. But they can throw bigger things. Oh no! I when I first saw that movie, God, I, I don't think like, that makes a difference. Uh, no, the difference is that you can throw a telephone pole made out of iron at something with a coil gun. The best you can do is something as say as a coke bottle with a rail gun. Yeah, John. It, it, I'm sure that the audience doesn't make doesn't care about that difference the point is you're you're still able to do something like this oh yeah yeah i mean i'm looking at static field it that's what allows you to reinforce you use a static field to reinforce your weapon to make sure it doesn't collapse on itself when it fires oh yeah given second as i said first world science and second world magic a lot of let me re excuse me uh, I'll read this paragraph. I'll try to be real quick. Uh, frequent traffic with the first world makes New York one of the places where your players will most feel the difference between a second world campaign and a more standard fantasy campaign. Wizards wear Yankees t-shirts and young debutantes pride themselves on how well they fit their designer jeans. Grizzled warriors who have faced down the undead in their tombs sidle up to the bar for a cold butt or even a first world soft drink. Carbonated soda and cheap American bear drinks of the elite here in the second world. First world exiles come here, grow powerful and wealthy, then attempt to shape the city to the place they left. Their foremost desires typically involve the creature comforts, i.e. showers, air conditioning, and refrigeration. As such, a great deal of arcane power gets expended on these rather frivolous pursuits. Imagine a weapons designer who decides to go arcane magic. That was, in May's world, Perky Gott's husband, Oz, did that. He was a former U.S. Army major who went civilian weapons designer. And then he starts taking 
the mages class in Pathfinder, basically the warrior wizard. So he's there making technomagic firearms for the group, and it's like, yeah, we're fighting with swords and crossbows, and now we have munders and fireball guns. Way to go, Ziggy. Yeah, he was the artificer, and he made these types of guns, because even Oz was giving me a little bit of the science behind it. I'm like, oh, I see you saw your research. And so here we are going through fantasy realms, and all of a sudden we've got, at the most, at best, the enemies would have revolvers, and here we are with automatic munder rifles. Uh, I, I... Because you're just... First world sciences with with magic. Here's a good question. I'm an enterprising first worlder who just got dumped into New York, and the yes. one thing I miss is the Golden Arches. Is it possible to get a franchise? Wouldn't see why not. I mean, there's no. As far as I know, there's no. If you can sit there and buy meat from all the farm, because there's all farms outside of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Oh, yeah, and it's not grain, but this is grass-fed beef. Yes. How hard is it to make bad hamburgers? Not that hard at all. But if that person wanted to run a franchise and start making his own restaurant, yeah, if you got the money, you know, and, and in Pathfinder, you can even, you know, there's rules, I'm sure, to make your own business. It'd be in something like Ultimate Campaign. The question is, best I know is McDonald's does not have an alternate world franchise in, in Bureau 13 department. So would he be – because he's got so many first-world contacts, people who actually do business back and forth, would you know would someone handle the contract or would he have to pay a franchise fee? But you, basically, you'd be making your own illegal franchise. Okay. All right. So basically, the, the, the first-worlders who basically can go back and forth and don't get stuck would just go, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a Scottish place, you know. And <laughs> Well, it's like, remember, most of the first-worlders – it's exile. They go back and they're not remembered. You could walk right up to your family. They wouldn't know who you are. You would remember them just fine, but to be like, and you could sit there in line and say, yeah, I'm a cousin from the other side of the country. Same last name. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they wouldn't say, oh, you look like that so-and-so who disappeared. No, because they wouldn't remember you. To, the, to them, you never existed. So that, that whole thing with exile. You look a lot like Uncle Bob, your brother, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these first worlders, that's why you have, as I said, there was, oh, what was her name? I want to say Elaine Kincaid. And when she shunted over, she became a half elf and was a bard. And she thought, wait a minute, a liar of building does this. If we play a liar of building enough, that's where skyscrapers and now Atlantic Construction Incorporated. ACI pretty much is the premier constructors of the East Coast. You can hire them to build your house, and then they'll come in with contractors, and do they do all the fine detailing. But let's say ACI wants to build a fort out in the wilderness. You hire them. You could be an adventuring party. Yeah, you need to clear this land. Go out and kill the monsters so we can build the fort. And you're basically contracted by ACI to clear that area. Meanwhile, ACI, because there's no unions here, they corner the market because they got a – and you don't even need to be a bard. Just have a high-perform skill with a, with a liar of building, and you're in, you're in the money. That's why the ACI is one of the big organizations that you can be involved with in the second world. And as I said, a fringe-worthy who comes through the new Hispania portal – yeah, you're in Spanish Harlem, then you're looking down about seven or eight blocks, and all of a sudden you're starting to see skyscrapers. You're like, wait a minute, these people are living in medieval technology, but they're it looks a lot like modern-day New York. Yeah, I'm just looking at the warden's description and looking at some of the things, and it looks like wardens can uh, not you know, wardens can always use their powers no matter where they are. Yes. Oh, they're rule breakers. Yeah, the wardens, the whole point is, yeah, you, you can't, you know, Arcane and divine magic, you have to go past the world resistance. First world's natural thing of you have to do it ritually in order to get past the world resistance. In other words, take 10. And then you go to the you get shunned to the second world. Because let's say you're you're screwing around as a kitchen witch and you do summon a demon. And the bureau doesn't get to it in time, and the demon escapes. Now you get shunted, you and the other women in the bridge club. And you're now, okay, you start learning 
doing magic and you gain warden powers. Yeah, you still have to deal with the the magic restriction, but your warden powers work just fine. Okay, so so that's why uh, a lightning warden can still operate in say uh, it says right here. You know, it can op- he, they they can function. They they're wanted in the Russian and Mongolian steppes and in China and south in various places and Berlin. And I'm going, hmm, that sort of me says, yeah, even though they're not in Japan, he's, you know, if he, he, if he has his personal lightning gun on him, it still works. Because he's powering it himself. Yeah. Oh, metal wardens allow you to use firearms. Read up on modern guns, the binding there. And that means in a world like you go back to Bureau 13 and you've got the modern, it's a sub binding. You have to get the first, and then you can buy the two subsequent ones. You get modern guns because you are actually using your Metal Warden binding to like propel that bull a little better. You get a plus three on attack and damage when you are using a modern, like a revolver or a pistol. Now, in the second world, it just allows you to use the gun. In the first world, it makes you use it better. Yeah. Now, I know we're talking about fringe really at this point, but it does bring up the point, is there a Bureau, bureau Office in the second world. Yeah, Habrex 7. Oh, so they're basically, they're the they're like a contractor for Bureau, or are they Bureau? They're the Bureau. It's just, it, it, it again, arose by any other name. Habrex 7, I look, I go, this is the Bureau. When I got this book, like, oh God, six, seven years ago, I, I got, mine is falling apart, and I bought another one, gave it to Eric, and I've got the PDF here. So the question is, are they the Bureau as in, they are a uh, fully fully functioning franchise, or are they? Are there people from the first world who can go back and forth just fine, and they're basically being being controlled by the bureau because of the one to one correspondence between shunting? I would say it's a franchise of the bureau. They just name themselves differently. That's more disinformation on the bureau's part. Yeah. Okay. Because some people come back, maybe for other reasons, and never heard of any, what's going on there, and ha- not having them talk about this Bureau Thirteen busy screwing around over there, would it, it basically keeps it, 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 it helps keep keeps the uh, the disinformation up. Right, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, because remember, Habrex Seven or Seven has contacts throughout New York. And so they use them. Okay, yeah, we'll help you out and do recon and check out things. And in return, you give us magic items. We need to send them back to our 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 first world office. And they shunt them through all the various other... Uh, remember, they have, like, New York, L.A., all except Washington, D.C. But all of those other seven offices, they're sending magic items, fully made magic items, back... And that's how Bureau agents get them on Earth, because Habrex 7 is shipping them in from their allies. Habrex 7, in a way, would be wrapped up with Project Magnus, the Bureau's R&D magic division. And SciTech also, so that would be Project Geller, which is the the psionic R&D division for the Bureau. They would have their hands in 7 saying, yeah, that's how we get our magic and psi items. Remember, psionics works normally in the first world. It's due to this arcane and divine magic have the, oh, the hiccup. Okay. I was just reading through it. So, so it's this mode gamma is what's operating in in the second world. Havrock 7 is in the first world. So Havrock 7 is Bureau 13. Mode gamma is in the first world, too. That's why it's listed under first world organizations. It's just their job is they're specifically around to... Deal with psionics and give them a sense of community and also to hunt down them mind flayers. Yeah, I got you. So they're the psi folks and half rocket the supernatural folks. Yeah. All right. But, uh, but yeah, I, I guess I, I, I derailed you because we were talking about, you know, Osaka. Osaka, as I said, you would be dealing with the, the lightning warden powers. Now, Sultan's Baghdad... You would be back to the old style Arabian Nights type Bedouins in the desert, all that. They don't talk about the Middle East a lot in. They talk about Africa. They talk about India. They talk about, you know, Europe and Asia. Middle East, they don't touch on. So I would assume that that would just be your Arabian Nights esque with Ifrit and Jin and kind of the not quite well. 
sort of the City of Brass type stuff, just that variant array, you know, Alibaba, Aladdin type of campaign. If you wanted to run that there, that's what it would be. You know, this does sound like a possible shortcut. You're, you're a fringe-worthy team. You discover a portal minus one fourteen. Okay, then you then you run into somebody. Say there's say there's some bureau agents who are over here doing some research, and you run into them. And they go, "You're fringe-worthy." Oh, you guys want a shortcut back home? <laughs> well, yeah, negative one fourteen to negative or positive thirteen. Well, yeah, you're still close to Earth Prime. You know, it's yeah, yeah that, that's that's only that's. Oh, was it fifty miles? Fifty miles per per link. So that's uh. Yeah, I don't have my phone handy. I do, I do the math. Five hundred. Jeez, uh, call it thirteen times. That's hundred. Son, that's one hundred twenty-seven nodes. Negative four and fourteen to positive thirteen. No, that's like no, no, no. I'm talking from positive thirteen to to uh, Earth Prime. It's only thirteen nodes. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's 13 times 50. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a day's trip. Yeah. Well, oh, you're talking bringing the Fringeworthy back from that far. Yeah, it would be. It would be a terrific shortcut. That would be something else that Shea Talbot, Colonel Talbot, would know about. All about the Second World because of the shift gates that they deal with. Remember, fringe is her main thing, but I, I pretty much set it here and, you know, put my foot down since I created the character. She knows anything that has to do with dimensional travel with Bureau 13. She's that go-to person. The second world is old hat to her. She probably would have... She probably would have been there and... Looked around, but they may have, like, as always, the portals are always hard to find unless you know the, where, where to look for them. So she may have actually just thought, oh, just the totally not connected and may have never looked for them. Well, no, it's like because she can just go to a shift gate and bing, end up dealing with Derek Mansfield and Sharon Stiles at Seven's New York headquarters. Yeah, like I said, and basically there's no, and she has no reason even to think that there's fringe-worthy, fringe-worthy connections. So, Well, that's true, but once she finds out that there is, oh no, she'll be talking with Earth Prime and all that going, okay, found this out. We just found ourselves a really good shortcut. Get if you have fringe agents, get them to the New York City there and find Mansfield, and he'll get them home. But yeah, so oh no, Shay would Shay would know about this. Yeah, there there there'd be no. She would have found this out because she's been doing this job now for like about ten years. Now, also, here's the question: because these are these gates open right now? Basically. Are they open at, on year zero? On on year zero, are those gates open on on one negative one fourteen? Uh, they would all. Well, let's see. Well, in my campaign, I mean the the New York one is definitely open. Matter of fact, they they had to the Night Watch had to lock it down because it was a massive battle there. Um, I've had all these gates closed, so I mean. Other than the New York one, as a, that's my own personal campaign. I would probably have them as closed, which means when they open them up, they would find this fantasy world, but all of a sudden they would just find that one person wearing a T-shirt or a baseball cap or have something modern-esque, and they'd just be like going, wait a minute, you know. Yeah, so I'm wondering, though, so if... If the New York, let's look at just looking at the uh, sheet here. So, are they? They're not. Well, we don't list them as being open or closed. So, no, that the open and closed were only for the alts. Yeah. So, if it's so, if New Hispania is, is the only one that's open, um, there is a, there is one way to find uh, of, of her knowing that there, there's a connection is something like a slarg comes through. Or Brupians. If Brupians are spotted, you know, and especially, you know, weird things, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 and they point, and they point to the tree. And she goes, oh, my. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Habrick 7 would know about, that they would have found out by now about that portal, just weird things appearing in their Spanish Harlem, and just be like, okay, wait a minute. Rainbow Warp, okay, we're going to make a cross-world call back to... 
But this this may have actually occurred. Yeah, this may actually have occurred before you know uh, discovery on back on Earth Prime. That would put it back in the fifties on Earth on Bureau Thirteen. Then, yeah, because remember we figured twenty to thirty year difference between Earth Prime and Bureau Thirteen's Earth. Here's the kicker about they they mentioned something called the Sundering, and it's in like the first ten pages or so. At one time. The first and second world were the same Earth, and then something happened. Now, they said, oh, it could happen tens of thousands of years ago. It could they were saying that even it hit as early as 1923. And let me get to the spot here. Okay, the sundering. A uh, general term used for the event that divided the first and second world. No one knows much about it, for that matter. No one knows if it even actually happened. Perhaps there were always two worlds. Evidence of past cataclysms that crossed the worlds indicate, though, that there were actually one world at some time. Moreover, ancient religion, texts, and many second world myths speak of a splitting or something similar. Some even claim that the sundering occurred quite recently, as recent as 1923. Apparently, just under five minutes of time went missing on September 3rd, 1923, at roughly 2130 hours Zulu time. There is no actual scientific means of determining the truth of this claim. However, pretty much all vector wardens of any skill and several other arcane scholars agree that the time just isn't there. Even the vector wardens don't think that this means that the sundering occurred that recently. True, the gap likely indicates some significant cosmic event, but the world is full of those. Typically, only the flakier religions and philosophies adopt the recent sundering theory. I wonder... Could the sundering happen, oh, say, a thousand years ago? What are you getting at, John? Wasn't there a war a thousand years ago? Where at? What What do you mean? What? The Miller War? Ooh. Hmm. And someone tried to rotate the Bureau 13 out, but they f flubbed it. And instead of rotating it, they split it. Oh, 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 that's a thing of beauty there, son. Oh, damn. Okay, yeah. Or they combined it. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, it could be they're trying to rotate and, yeah, mix them up. So there's a, all these connections were established between the two. Yeah, between negative 114 and positive 13. Yeah, there is the magical link, and because the fringe, you know, they knew dimensional science... The forge could have been an accidental creation of the Termeller. Because the Termeller, remember, we did determine they did no magic. Matter of fact, a Termeller would make a frightening wizard. Not a sorcerer. They would have everything codified. They would have their biotech data pads as their spell books. Oh, no, a Termeller as a wizard is a scary thought. No, no, they'd have a living wand. Well, that too, yeah. But they would still need something to study their spells from. Like a spell book. Yeah. That's called a familiar, John. I know. It's no, they have those too. No, they, you know, I, I imagine something equivalent to uh, this uh, from uh, Terry Pratchett, sapient pearwood, something along those lines where basically it's a, it's wood. It's also intelligent. But yeah, they would still need to study their spells every day. So yeah, they would have some type of thing that would equate to a spell book. Even if the wand, they just, it gave like a holographic display where they could study and then memorize the spell for the day. Yeah. Oh, no. As I, but yeah, the Termellern, with their knowledge of dimensional physics, if something happened like that, where it linked the worlds, but in order to keep them from like destroying, they would have had to have created the forge to like buffer them. So, it, so the forge could be basically just, oh, you know what it is? It's, 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 it's a waiting room. But it's a really big waiting room. Well, the thing is, with the Forge, it covers the purposes of an astral plane, an ethereal plane, the elemental planes. Because you can travel the Forge and the Deep Forge, and you got the Labyrinths, the Catwalks, the Enkisi Void. All of these are part of the Forge. It's like a dimension of dimensions. Yeah, yeah. What, what I'm saying is it's not going to be a small space. I mean, basically... There, it, it's big enough to to make it make a bridge between two worlds at every space at every point. So it's going to be huge. In fact, every point in that universe, because Mars is connected. 
Yeah, Mars is the the area where the pattern warden gains their power from. Yeah, so it's it's so it's so it's quite possible that it's at least out to forty light years. There's this humongous forge. Yeah, you're never going to see the end of it. It's, it's too big. Well, that's the thing. I never. Oh, here's the thing. Yeah, I never dealt with leaving Second World Earth. I never filled out. Oh, yeah, this is what you know the the the. The Martians are doing the system system and star hub platforms are. I never well they said something in there. I think it was one of the other races said that outer space is and this is the term that they used thicker, whatever that meant. Now it could mean that there's just more stars in the arm or in the Orion spiral arm or something. But yeah, space apparently from what the little bit that Peterson put in there works a little differently than it would be on Bureau Earth. Now, obviously, if you're going from Earth to Mars, it's going to be a magical portal, teleport or whatever, you know, like greater teleport or some such in order to get, or, you know, you could use some magical creature. And there are certain creatures that you could gain transport. I think there is some... Warden power that you climb in an animal's mouth and it swims and you can go from one place to another in between worlds and whatnot. I don't see why you couldn't go to Mars because there would be water on Mars. They have forests. They would have to have some type of water. Yeah, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of the gates that uh, to touch back to in a previous episode in the uh, Zelda universe to other planets. Well, well, well. The way we did Zelda, Josie and I was. Uh, one world was on one alt, and the alternate Earth that Zelda had was just on another alt. No, 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 no. We're talking about, uh, am I, or am I thinking of another one uh, where there, there are multiple, there are multiple plants in the solar system that, that have that they travel between. Uh, yeah, I think was it Zelda, or was it when the other, where was it when the other ones? But they had gates so they can travel between the different planets. No, that was um, no, 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 dude. That was Pathfinder. That was Fringeworthy Galarian. That's right. You're right, Galarian. Yes, Galarian has has gates. Again, that 5K fun run down memory lane. It's no longer a walk run. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, so yeah. Th- th- there's an example of not having space travel, but having traveled to other other worlds in, in the solar system. So yeah, it's quite. Po- I mean, it almost sounds like okay, you got Mars. I mean, Venus is probably a swamp with dinosaurs. As I said, they only did Earth, Mars. They didn't even touch on the moon. And, of course, the second world source book. When they say thick, the other way of being thick is that there's luminous ether. Which you could bring in sort of the space jammer type thing if you wanted to. Or space 1889. Yeah, that's sort of you know either you know either you know some type of aether ship. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be. So the thickness could be along that line where it's literally is thicker. Space is thicker. Well, you also well, there's also from Dark Fury's publishing aether and flux sailing the traverse. That was basically space jammer for D20s. A third party did it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you could bring up those type of games and add them to this if you wanted to travel around the second world's space. But considering the limits of the of the forge, and technically if you rotate a world, you're rotating its entire universe yeah. out. I mean, the forge is there's a reason why the forge is so big, is because it's got to be a it's gotta be a passageway, more or less, for the entire universe, between two universes. It covers your astral, your ethereal, your elemental, your higher and lower planes. It's where you summon angels and demons and devils from is the forge. So on Bureau Earth, heaven and hell would just simply be aspects of the forge. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to recall what else. Because they're also, I mean, you have the warden powers, you have various other races, you have the ability to over time, change into another race. And it's called that the Earth is hiding, what did they call it? That kernel of the fantastic. Kernel as in corn, not as in military. 
Um, and basically, you could have that essence of elf in you all your life. And it never translates until you go to the second world. And all of a sudden, over the course of the week, you become a little more lith, a little more elf-like. Your ears grow. And you genetically become an elf. But you have your full mindset. With my luck, I'd grow the big tusk and turn into an orc. But, you know. Uh. Well, no, that it could be any of the races. And there are about five or six other races in this setting. And let's see, the Eskidi, the Halcone, the Orca. The one I liked is the Shawan, which is you're still human, but you you pick up how to deal with patterns and synchronicity. And I looked at that, and you also gain, like, detect magic as a permanent vision, and you can kick it in, but you take a minus four to visual perception. I look at that, and I'm like, wait a minute. A race that deals with synchronicity and patterns and un- and whatnot, and this is me raising my hand, hi, that's somebody who's autistic, maybe an Aspie. So actually, listen to races, uh, there's raptors. As it, not the birds, the other kind. Uh, at, or, no, orcas. Okay. Humanoid killer whales. Yeah. The hel- the, helca- the, helcon. the Halcon. Halcon. The Schwan, which is the, Schwan. basically the magical Aspie, as far as I'm concerned. Eskidi, yeah. They are like the conniving snake people, kind of like the yuan Ti. They are the type of people they will that you know science and experimentations everything to to help the race. It even says there they will cut open a halfling child, torture him to death, and take notes regarding the volume and tone of the child's scream. They don't care about other races, but they'll back other Eskidi, of course, civilized Eskidi, the ones that have degenerated more into animalistic. They treat them as second class, but other races, no, it's like. F all the uh, skeeties rule the world, you know. Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't look like a horned toad, would they? Uh, no, serpent folk, kind of like a snake with legs. Oh, a horned a horned toad is no, is a horned toad? Is, no, a horned toad is something else. But like a horned snake. The reason I'm saying this because it's just too bad Jay's not here because I know what voice to give these guys. Oh, the the um, Kigak, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I like, <laughs> and these are people based in Nova Scotia. It's a Metallic skinned race known as the Ved Kayat. Oh, yeah. Now, the Ved Kayat, yeah, human, somewhat Hispanic features and spun, span human heights and weights. They have a metallic coppery sheen acquired from centuries in the forge. Basically, yeah, Lord Trespass took over Nova Scotia, and with the Central Empire, originally, yeah, the Central Empire went all the way from the east coast of the Rockies and up into Canada. Um, between well, there was a undead war in Second World 1986. Vampires and undead took, took over New Orleans. And afterwards, things changed in the capital, and they had to start retracting troops, which means all those legions, imperial legions in the city of ruins and whatnot, had to withdraw. So there's a massive power vacuum now, which other, uh, other organizations that are listed in the book, they're going, ooh, the... The Empire's gone. We can try to make power play, and there's like 20 organizations at once. Meanwhile, Lord Trespass, who runs the Ved Kayet, he's looking going, oh, that city, oh, a great city. If I were to conquer that, I would have the power of the rune. And basically, these Ved Kayet, the best way to describe how they are, monks. You could play the monk class, like lawful neutral, lawful evil. Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at the description for dwarves. They're from Appalachian. All that's right, son. The Appalachian dwarves. I'll tell you what. Oh, no. I had I have so much fun playing game mastering the Appalachian dwarves and the characters going, redneck dwarves, are you serious? You know, just elves. Oh, get this, elves. This is why I wanted Josie in this particular one. In the Maze World campaign, her character was basically a super strong elf from this world. Now, the elves in this world... Many player character elves will hail from the Seven Tribes, a loose federation living in the Huron Wild. Um, Try upstate New York and most of Pennsylvania. So you have elves, but of the Iroquois culture. And that's how most of the elves are in the second world. 
They seem to come from this area. Gnomes, uh, Arctic. They're all Arctic. And as I said, halflings, they're all from, at one time or another, their ancestry traces back to Britain. Yeah, these American Indian, Native American elves were kind of cool because they it just with how, it, what's the term? The wild elves, there was a name for them. The Grugach. Very reminiscent of the Grugach from the Greyhawk setting. An evil thought crossed my mind that if the, if this world was either, you know, split off from Bureau 13 or somehow latched on, and we have all these wardens who have these unique special powers, one wonders if this might have been a, well, an attempt by the Tamilan, because we all know the Tamilan love people. Um, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, um... <laughs> Uh, love lesser races, this may have been a research station for weaponry in the war. Hey, you said they knew magic. Then they knew technology. Here's the place they could mix them. Oh, so that basically this is where the world, if they wanted to practice techno magic, negative 114 prime would have been that a thousand years ago. Yeah, or or research. And, you know, the big question is, are there any really long-lived, besides the elves, long-lived individuals here who, who've been around since the wars? Ooh, oh, 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 wait a minute. Hold it. There's one here. Wait, where'd he go? I got to look for it. The guy's name, uh, Lord Jones Hamilton. It's in the organizations. Ah, he's been around since Satan, huh? <laughs> well, Lord Jones Hamilton's the type of guy who looks at dirt and goes, youngin'. Um... Lord Jones Hamilton uh, remains one of the lasting enigmas of Second World New York. Floated in and out of the scene for as long as anyone can remember. He possesses an unsettling ability to know all about you, even from the first time you meet. So that could be pre-cog or... Shaking a hand and getting your memory. Oh hell, that's right. Ooh. The fact he belongs to the Hellfire Club makes him kind of kinky. Uh, this, is, this, this is not the Hellfire Club from the Victorians, yeah. Uh, kinda, sorta. <laughs> oh, um, oh, so they are into kink. Okay. Well, let's see. Okay, here we go. Um, Lord Jones Hamilton ex exercises substantial control over the organization and is supposedly one of its founding members. Rumors has it that he aided in drawing up of the charter in the early 1700s. So this character is at least 300 years old. Yeah. I mean... Uh... And he's he's not running New York, but he's a he's a um, power behind the throne. Yep, and he's in a place where he doesn't have to change skins every every ninety years. Well, because magic here, you can have long lived people due to magic. Hey, Lord Jones Hamilton being a, uh, a Melor, as Miles Lane used to say on Celebrity Deathmatch, all out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 perfectly placed to be a mover and to to influence people and get things done. I mean, this could be he could be running multiple research projects for all we know. And here's the thing about Lord Jones Hamilton. Did you see what he has under you have domain the Hellfire Club uh favors those via the Hellfire Club equipment, any item at Wizard 12 or Cleric 7, Rings Wizard 18. Artifact Deck of many things. Take the time to get back to that page. I'll wait. Deck of many things. Yep. You pay 10 IP per draw. DC 25 if you are one of his flunkies. DC 30 for non-lackeys. Jones loves sharing this toy. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah, because well, yeah, if you get imprisoned, oh well, next. And people are like, no, no, I'm good, really, yeah. Because there is one where you just basically, you suffer from an imprisonment spell. You just get sucked up by the earth, you're gone. Roll up a new character. Well, there's actually a, quite a few of them that are like that, in that, you know, you basically you're ruined. So yeah. that's why you only take one car. If you ever do it, you only take one. Yeah. And here's a guy who's got a deck, and... I've got this deck, and I'm not afraid to use it! Yeah. One wonders if he knows how to pull out the right cards for the, for the person involved. he's giving him to. Oh, no, because that's a power I wouldn't want to have. Stacking the deck of many things. Card reading. 
No, no. For for all we know, this deck of many things, because we do know there's always one th- form of technology that always works, no matter where you are. That's Tremelin technology. It's biotech, yeah. They're, they're, biotech would work wonderfully here in the second No, world. when I say Tremelin technology, I'm talking about the big shiny rings and the metal platforms. That works everywhere. And this deck of many, this big deck of many things may be a portable maybe a portable version of the big of the big machine of the big system. He's pulling thing he knows what he's pulling out of that deck every time because he's basically running a uh, a wish machine that he can pull out and give you various items. Yeah, but the problem is, see, it's not what you want. It's just you're pulling this and hoping to gain the good card. What I'm saying is that he he controls it. He he knows who you are, and you know. I'm saying this is one of the few cases where the GM may modify the role when he makes it. Well, the deck of many things. The whole point of it is you have a playing card. The GM has a playing card, and it's shuffled up, and you just take look at the player. And a GM and a GM never would would never stack the deck when he hands it up. No, I wouldn't. No, I shuffle it up. I'd shuffle it up in front of him and just say, "Okay." In- Heck, I'd say inspect the deck. See if there's anything marked or anything. If there's a card bent, we'll get another deck. You know, I'm not going to sit there. I'm going to let the players, you know. Yeah, yeah. You as, a, you as a GM would do that. But I'm saying from the point of view of a GM who's – you're encountering this person. I mean, if I had a regular deck and many things, yeah, that's how you do it. But you're getting it from Lord Jones Hamilton. Well, as far as I'm concerned, I always had as a deck of many things. It just he, he had the artifact that you would find in the back of the DM guide or the Pathfinder Ultimate Equipment book, and I would say it, it kind of operates that way, except that it's it's more, but it's I mean there there, there, are, there are other it's you know there are other variations of the deck of many things out there. I, I know there's only one deck of many things, but sometimes there's more than one. You know, GMs do that sometimes. You know. Oh, say there's one of this alternate earth. There's also one of this alternate earth over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or this is the, the look at the deck backs. Each each deck back is different. <laughs> you know, you never know. Maybe you know. Maybe the maybe he has the pinochle version of deck of many things. Anyway, <laughs> pinochle. Yeah. Um. So you're saying that his might be Termellan technology that. Well, the Termellans do have a sense of humor. They, I mean, they're kind of, you know. Yeah, and what he does, and that person is not being sucked into the ground. He's being sucked into an into another into another onto another world where he's, you know, safe or going get get what he what he deserves. And so you're saying that the augmentations are instantaneous genetic alteration. No, 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 I'm saying like the imprisonment. You you pull imprisonment instead of being just sucked into some, you know, some unknown unknown place because you're never coming back here from the sounds from, from you know. It takes a wish or a miracle to get you back, basically. Yeah, basically, what it's, what's done is that he's, you're being sent. You're, you're being sent to another world. Yeah, you may be sent to a world that's undergoing a Miller infestation. Well, effectively, your character's out of play. I mean, they they basically tell you roll up a new character. Yeah, yeah. What, what I'm saying is, but th- in this case, you get the card that he, you get the card that he thinks you best need. Well, that would be still a reason. It's like, okay, why would you want this? Why does he think that this character thinks that you should be on this other world? See, that's the thing. I'm th- I, no, I have a feeling that that unless the player really is a um, uh, son of a female, can- you know, uh, uh, illegitimate son of a female canine. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, the person who just went and just wiped out a whole bunch of halflings, you know, and stuff like that, just for no reason. Okay, now if he did that, don't you think he wouldn't let them go with a deck of many things? He'd just put a hit on them. Remember, this guy's been around for three hundred. That's true. He knows the city of runes. He would hire somebody like the Red Society take this scum out, and he'd do it. Through, and he would do it through so many middlemen that Lord Jones, it would never get traced back to Lord Jones Hamilton. And besides, even if it did. Are you going to be the city guard, i.e., the New York police in this world that has to arrest Lord Jones Hamilton? It also could be you know, as it, what it really is a deck of many things, and he has a sense of humor. Oh no! What, from what I'm gathering, this guy, yeah, other than being like a very long-lived information broker, which is basically what I'm getting from him. The, when I read this, I'm going, yeah, okay, this guy has his thumb on the pulse of all the important stuff in the city. High society, high magic, and he wants to know everything about you from the moment you met. 
and he he's asking all these questions and just he's a very well read person. Ravenous curiosity for history in minutia. Oh, I like this. Gregor Stanley, some years back, got really annoyed at Hamilton. Apparently, Jones Hamilton would frequently, frequently chuckle and laugh out loud upon seeing Stanley. After one particularly long and, and raucous outburst of laughter, Gregor accused Hamilton of being a roa. They stood facing each other for, for no more than a minute. Then Gregor fell to the floor dead. Subsequent and can't clandestine... Clandestine. Clandestine, sorry. French word. Uh, investigation failed to reveal any trace of magic, poison, or disease. The investigators even transported the body to the first world for medical analysis, but this was before modern methods. Regardless, the first world examiner ruled out ruled it natural causes and suspected a stroke or something similar. I mean, if he's if he's got you know termelin termelin biotech, it would not be at all impossible to you know make a make a stroke. Perhaps tension, stress, and terror combine to take Gregor down, or perhaps Hamilton possesses the power to strike someone dead with nothing more than a glance. Perhaps he somehow commands a person's fate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I would see that if you were a Mellor. Oh, yeah, if you sit there and, you know, have the, the, the biotech to, like, do a, a microstroke in just the right place, yeah, it just drops dead. And in even modern technology, you'd have to do something like an MRI or something or some type of scan. You would see exactly what what it would be. It would be a clot. Well, that's fine. Problem is, they said before modern methods, so we're talking probably some years back. Yeah, so this could have been like even like 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, it it, it just it it could be aromancy, just create an air bubble in the appropriate place in the body. Oh, and and by the time you examine it, it's disappeared. Yeah. Oh, been absorbed back into the body, or there's more, or there's more, or yet the body's decomposing. There's more bubbles there to join it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's many ways of taking a person down without, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If he if he does have access to, to various tech, yeah, yeah. A little a little a little bio creature could have crawled inside his into a vein and went <sighs> and blew a bubble. Yeah. All right, I think we've we've explored how to use this setting, which due to the open content license that the author of the Second World Source book, Stephen Palmer Peterson, added, I it technically this this is kind of Bureau 13 canon now because I added Solstice, you know, I kind of as I said, I saw that and I said, ooh, challenge accepted. And I've kind of now linked where, okay, you could go in this from the Bureau 13 side. If you were a person on Bureau 13 Earth and the agency doesn't get to you, oh, look, you get shunted and you now are a exiled, transplanted citizen of the second world. Or if you come and be a fringe-worthy, the fringe paths, what you would see on the portals, the eight prime portals. As I said, this was due to the open content license that the author put in the Second World Source book as sort of an experiment. I took the challenge, and it, it it's worked out nicely. We've even added some things that make sense. And again, we found someone on the world that could be a Meller. <laughs> That's what, how many, was it, was it, we're what, four for four now, or three for three? I forgot how many times we've done that. We found someone on the world that could be a Meller. <laughs> Miller, good like that. They just, you know, under the door, sneak in, nobody knows. Yeah. Anyways, as far as, as I said, you can get this PDF through the onebookshelf.com stores, drivethroughrpg.com and rpgnow.com. You could probably still get the the hard copy at noblenightgames.com, which night with KN, or I believe it's noblenight.com. I'll find out and I'll put it in the fans of Tritech podcast page. Anyways, if you would like to add this particular setting into a Bureau 13 or Fringeworthy game, as I said, I put it at negative 114 prime. It works best. If you want to pursue this second world, dual world setting, let us know what you think on Fans of the TriTech podcast, Bureau 13, Agents Everywhere, 
Fringeworthy RPG fans, let us know via the Podbean site, the Google groups, which John keeps an eye on religiously, TritechGamers.com, the Yahoo groups, I believe, are still open. Or if you're listening to this iTunes, kick us some feedback via that. We always want to hear feedback from you folks because we know as you play the games and you get, you know, we give you ideas either through this or Professor Pixie's uh, video game worlds, which we've put into the fringe catalog. We want to hear what you guys think, you guys and gals. I use guys as a gender neutral term. What you think, and, you know, we bounce back and forth, and I, especially Pixie, she really loves the feedback. Please, buy those aforementioned sources. Let us know if you can get a hold of the Second World Sourcebook and add this to either Bureau 13 or Fringeworthy, what it does to bring more awesome to your game. We will have more for you next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License. 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.